Hello, everybody, and welcome back to That English Teacher Podcast. Now, sadly, we only have a couple more podcasts left. This makes me so sad because this has been a fun experience with you guys. So, let's go ahead and start. This is our Chapter 10 podcast. How does it look, asked Papa, as I passed through the sitting room on my way out the side door. Over a week had passed since he had been injured, and this was his first morning up. He was seated by the cold fireplace, his head still bandaged, his broken leg resting on a wooden chair. His eyes were on Mama at her desk. All right, I'm going to stop there. So, as we remember, in the last chapter, Papa had gone seriously hurt. And we all think it's the Wallaces. We aren't sure. That's what Mr. Morrison said, but he's pretty sure it was the Wallaces. And long story short, Papa had gone seriously hurt. He literally had a gunshot, like, just go straight across his temple, barely grazing and missing his actual head. So he got hurt on his head. He also has a broken leg, not feeling too hot right now. And now the the family is getting pretty worried. Continuing reading on, Mama put down her pencil and frowned at the open ledger before her. She glanced at me absently and waited until I had closed the screen door behind me. Then she said, David, do you think we should go into this now? You're still not well. I'm well enough to know there's not much left. Now tell me. I hopped down the steps and sat on the bottom one. Mama was silent a moment before she answered him. With Hammer's half of the mortgage money, we've got enough to meet the June payment. Nothing more? A couple of dollars, but that's all. They were both silent. You think we should write Hammer and borrow some money? Mama asked. Papa did not answer right away. No, he said finally. I still don't want him to know about this thing. If he knows I'm not on the railroad, he'll want to know why not, and I don't want to risk the temper of his when he finds out what the Wallace has done. Mama sighed. I guess you're right. I know I am, said Papa. Things like they are, he come down here wild and angry. He'll get himself hung. Long as things don't get no worse, we can make it without him. We'll meet that June note with the money we got there. He paused a moment. We'll probably have to sell a couple of the cows and their calves to make them July and August notes. Maybe even that also sow. But by the end of August, we should have enough kind to make that September payment. Of course, we'll probably have to go all the way to Vicksburg to get it ginned. Can't hardly use Harlan Granger's gin this year. There was silence again. Then Mama said, David, Mama's been talking about going in a strawberry to the market next. No, Papa said, not letting her finish. Too much bad feeling there. I told her that. I'll talk to her. Anything we just got to have before the first con come in. Well, you picked up batteries and kerosene on that last trip. But what we're going to need more than anything is some insecticide to spray the cotton. The bugs are getting pretty bad. What about food? Our flour and sugar and baking powder and such are low, but we'll make out. We don't have to have biscuits and cornbread every day. We're out of pepper and there's not much salt, but we don't just have to have those either. And the coffee's all gone. The garden's coming along nicely, though. There's no worry there. No worry, Papa muttered as both of them grew quiet. Then suddenly there was a sharp explosion as if something had been struck with an angry force. If only this leg wasn't busted. Don't let Stacy hear you saying that, David, Mama cautioned softly. You know he blames himself about your leg. I told the boy it wasn't his fault. He just wasn't strong enough to hold Jack. I know that, but he still blames himself. 
Papa laughed strangely. Ain't this something? Them walls is aim a gun at my head, and I get my leg broke, and my boy's blaming himself for it. Why, I feel like taking a bullwhip to all three of them, Wallace is, and not stopping till my arm gets so tired I can't raise it one more time. You're sounding like Hammer. Am I? Well, a lot of times I feel like doing things Hammer's way. I think I'd get a powerful lot of satisfaction from whipping Caleb Wallace and them brothers of his. Hammer's way would get you killed and you know it, so stop talking like that. Don't we already have enough to worry about? Besides, both Thurston and Dewberry Wallace are still laid up, so I hear. Some folks even say that Dewberry's back is broken. In any case, Mr. Morrison must have hurt them pretty bad. All right, I'm going to stop there real quick. couple of things. So first, the Logan family is just pretty much trying to figure out if they're going to be able to make it past June. And Papa has a lot of confidence with all of the different things that they have on their farm that they can make it till September. But things are running low as far as money and crops and trying to figure out a way to, to just keep the farm. Second thing is... With this whole situation that happened to Papa, Stacy blames himself, and he blames himself for the dumbest reason. It was obviously the Wallace's fault as to why his leg is broken and why um he has his head hurt. It is obviously the Wallace's fault. So they're trying to be careful about talking about the whole situation because when Stacy's around, he gets really upset. And now Papa's starting to talk like Hammer and he's saying, I'm going to go and do this and do that and I'm going to whip them until I can't lift my arm no more. Yeah, he's starting to sound a little bit crazy. All right, now we're going to continue reading. There was an instant of silence before Mama answered, out looking for work again since dawn. He ain't going to find nothing around here. I told him that. I know, agreed Mama, but he says he's got to try. David, Mama stopped, and when he spoke again, her her voice had grown faint, as if he hesitated to say what was on her mind. David, don't you think he ought to go? I don't want him to, but after what he did to the Wallaces, I'm afraid for him. He knows what could happen, Mary, but he wants to stay, and frankly, we need him here. Don't pester him about it. But David, if, before Mama finished, I spied Mr. Morrison coming west from Smellings Creek, I left the step and hurried to meet him. Hello, Mr. Morrison, I shouted as Jack pulled the wagon up the drive. Hello, Cassie, Mr. Morrison greeted me. Your papa awake? Yes, sir, he's sitting out of bed this morning. Didn't I tell you nothing could keep him down? Yes, sir, you did. He stepped from the wagon and walked toward the house. Mr. Morrison, you want me to unhitch Jack for you? No, Cassie, leave him be. I gotta talk to your papa, then I'll be back. Hail, Jack, I said, patting the mule as I watched Mr. Morrison enter the side door. I thought of returning to my seat on the steps, but decided against it. Instead, I remained with Jack, thoughtfully digesting all I had heard, until Mr. Morrison came from the house. He went into the barn, then reappeared with the planter, a plow-like tool with a small round container for dropping seeds attached to its middle. He put the planter into the back of the wagon. Where are you going now, Mr. Morrison? Down to Mr. Wiggins' place. I seen Mr. Wiggins this morning, and he asked to use your papa's planter. He ain't got no wagon, so I told him I'd ask your papa, and if it was all right, I'd bring it to him. Ain't it kind of late for seating? Well, not for what he got in mind. 
He thought he'd plant himself some summer corn. It'll be ready to come September. Mr. Morrison, can I go with you? I asked as he climbed up the wagon. Well, I'd be right pleased for your company, Cassie, but you'll have to ask your mama. I ran back to the house. The boys were now in Mama and Papa's room, and when I asked if I could go up to Little Willie's with Mr. Morrison, Little Man and Christopher, John, of course, wanted to go too. Mr. Morrison said it'd be all right, Mama. Well, don't you get in his way. Stacy, you going? Stacy sat across from Papa, looking despondently at the broken leg. Go on, son, said Papa gently. There's nothing to do here. Give you a chance to talk to little Willie. You sure there ain't something I can do for you, Papa? Just go and have yourself a good ride over to little Willie's. Since it had been my idea to ask to go, I cleaned the seat beside Mr. Morrison and the boys climbed him back. Little Willie's family lived on their own 40 acres about two miles east of Great Faith. It was a fine morning for a ride, and the six miles there sped by quickly with Mr. Morrison singing in the basset of bass bass voices and Christopher John, little man, and me joining in wherever we could as we passed cotton fields abloom in flowers of white, red, and pink. Stacy, being one of being in one of his moods, did not sing, and we let him be. We stayed less than an hour at the Wiggins farm, then headed home again. We had just passed Great Faith and were approaching the Jefferson Davis School Road when a ragged pickup came into view. Very quietly, Mr. Morrison said, Cassie, get in back. But why, Mr. Mor? Do quick, Cassie, like I say. His voice was barely above a friendly whisper, but there was an urgency in it, and I obeyed, scrambling over the seat to join the boys. Y'all stay down now. The truck braked noisily with a grating shriek of steel. We stopped. The boys and I peeped over the edge of the wagon. The truck had veered across the road, blocking us. The truck door swung open, and... Caleb Wallace stepped out, pointing a long, condemning finger at Mr. Morrison. He swayed, unspeaking for a long, terrible moment, then sputtered. You black man, I ought to cut your heart out for what you done. My brother's laid up like they is, and you still running around free as a white man. Downright sinful, that what it is. Why, I ought to gun you down right where you sit. You gonna move your truck? Caleb Wallace gazed up at Mr. Morrison. Then at the truck, as if trying to comprehend the connection between the two. That truck in your way, boy? You gonna move it? I'll move it, all right. When I get good and ready, he stopped abruptly, his eyes bulging in a terrified stare as Mr. Morrison climbed down from the wagon. Mr. Morrison's long shadow fell over him, and for a breathless second, Mr. Morrison towered dangerously near him. But as the fear grew white on Caleb's face, Mr. Morrison turned without a word and peered into the truck. What's he looking for, I whispered. Probably a gun, said Stacy. Mr. Morrison circled the truck, studying it closely. Then he returned to its front, and bending at the knees with his back against the grill, he positioned his large hands beneath the bumper. Slowly, his muscles flexing tightly against the thin shirt and the sweat popping off his skin like oil on water. He lifted the truck in one fluid, powerful motion until the front was several inches off the ground and slowly walked it to the left of the road where he set it down as gently as a sleeping child. Then he moved to the rear of the truck and repeated the feat. Caleb Wallace was mute. Christopher John, little man, and I stared open-mouthed, and even Stacy, who had witnessed Mr. Morrison's phenomenal strength before, 
gazed in wonder. It took Caleb Wallace several minutes to regain his voice. We were far down the road, almost out of hearing, when his frenzied cry of hate reached us. One of these nights, you watch, man. I'm going to come get you for what you've done. You just watch. One night, real soon. When we reached home and told Mama and Papa and Big Ma what had happened, Mama said to Mr. Morrison, I told you before I was afraid for you, and today Caleb Wallace could have hurt you and the children. All right, let's talk about this crazy thing that just happened. So Christopher John, little man, Cassie, and Stacy all went with Mr. Morrison to Little Willie's. Or let me get my facts straight. So they were going to the Wiggins farm, sorry, and they were passing great faith and they were approaching Jefferson Davis School. Now, they run into Caleb Wallace in his pickup truck and Caleb Wallace gets out and he sees Mr. Morrison and he, Mr. Morrison tells the kids to get, to get away. Now... Mr. Morrison is talking to Caleb Wallace, and Caleb Wallace is obviously not happy because when Mr. Morrison was protecting Papa and Stacy, he hurt that Wallace, those Wallace brothers pretty bad, and they were still kind of banged up. So Caleb Wallace was defending him, and all Mr. Morrison wanted him to do was to move his truck. So now... After moving, after saying that he wasn't going to move his truck, Mr. Morrison just picked up one end of the truck and then put it down and then went in the back of the truck and picked up that end of the truck and put it down and then continued on their old merry way. And Caleb Wallace was like, uh, what? So now we're going to continue reading. And Mama, when, when they went home, Mama was like, now I'm really afraid for you, talking to Mr. Morrison. All right, continuing reading. Mr. Morrison looked squarely into Mama's eyes. Ms. Logan, Caleb Wallace is one of them folks who can't do nothing by himself. He got to have a lot of other folks backing him up, plus a loaded gun. And I knew there wasn't no gun, leastways not in the truck. I checked. But if you stay, he'll get somebody and they'll try to take you like he said. Miss Logan, don't ask me to go. Mama reached out, laying a slender hand on Mr. Morrison's. Mr. Morrison, you're a part of us now. I don't want you hurt because of us. Mr. Morrison lowered his eyes and looked around the room until his gaze rested on the boys and me. I had never had no children of my own. I think sometimes if I had, I'd have wanted a son and daughter just like you and Mr. Logan and grandbabies like these babies of yours. But Mr. Morrison, the Wallaces, Mary, said Papa quietly, let it be. Mama looked at Papa, her lips still poised to speak. Then she said no more, but the worry lines remained creased upon her brow. August dawned blue and hot. The heat swooped low over the land, clinging like an invisible shroud, and through it, people moved slowly, lethargically, as if underwater. In ripening fields and drying cotton and corn stretched tiredly skyward, awaiting the coolness of a rain that occasionally threatened but did not come, and the land took on a baked brown look. To escape the heat, the boys and I often ambled into the coolness of the forest after the chores were done. There, while the cows and their calves grazed 
nearby, we sat on the banks of the pond, our backs propped against an old hickory or pine walnut, our feet dangling lazily in the cool water, and waited for a watermelon brought from the garden to chill. Sometimes Jeremy joined us there, making his way through the deep forest land from his own farm over a mile away, but the meetings were never planned. None of our parents would have liked that. How's your papa? he asked one day as he plopped down beside us. He's all right, said Stacy, except in his legs bothering him in this heat, itching a lot, but mamma says that the sign is getting well. That's good, murmured Jeremy. Too bad he had to get hurt when he'd done so he couldn't go back on the railroad. Stacy stirred uneasily, looking at Christopher John, little man and me, reminding us with his eyes that we were not to speak until about the Wallace's part in Papa's injury, and he said only, uh-huh. Jeremy was silent a moment, then stuttered. S- some folks saying they glad he got hurt, good glad he can't go make that railroad money. Who said that? I cried, jumping up from the bank. Just tell me who said it, and I'll ram Cassie. Sit down and be quiet, Stacy ordered, reluctantly. I did, and I, as I was told, wishing that this business about the Wallaces and Papa's injuries were not so complex. It seemed to me that since the Wallaces had attacked Papa and Mr. Morrison, the simplest thing to do would be to tell the sheriff and have them put in jail. But Mama said things didn't work that way. She explained that as long as the Wallaces, embarrassed by their injuries, at the hands of Mr. Morrison did not make an official complaint about the incident, then we must remain silent also. If we did not, Mr. Morrison could be charged with attacking white men, which could possibly end in his being sentenced to the chain gang, or worse. I I ain't the one said it, Cassie, stammered Jeremy by way of apology. Well, whoever's saying it ought not to be, I said huffily. Jeremy nodded thoughtfully and changed the subject. Y'all seen TJ lately? Stacy frowned, considering whether or not he should answer. There had been much talk concerning T.J. and the Sims brother, all of it bad. Mo Turner's father had told Papa that T.J. had stopped by the Simpsons once, and after they had left, he discovered his watch missing. The Lanier's had had the same experience with the locket. That T.J. didn't turn real bad, Mr. Lanier had said, and I don't want nothing to do with no thief, especially no thief running around with white boys. Finally, Stacy said, don't see him much no more. Jeremy pulled at his lip. I see him all the time. Too bad, I sympathized. St- Stacy glanced reproachfully at me, then lay flat upon the ground, his head resting in the cushion of his hands, clasped under his head. It sure is beautiful up there, he said, pointedly changing the subject again. The rest of us lay back too. Overhead, the branches of the walnut and hickory trees met like long green fans sheltering us. Several feet away, the persistent sun made amber roads of shimmering sunlight upon the pond. A stillness hovered in the air, soft, quiet, peaceful. Okay, I'm going to stop there. So, Jeremy keeps trying to talk to the Logans, the Logan children, and he's telling them that people are glad that Papa can't work right now, and Cassie gets all flustered about it, and then they start talking about TJ, and now TJ hangs out with the Sims boys, and he steals stuff, and he's not turning into a good person. So, um, let's continue seeing what they're, what they're going to talk about. I think when I grow up, I'm going to build me a house and some trees and just live there all the time, said Jeremy. How are you going to do that? asked little man. Oh, I'll find me some real strong trees and just build. 
I figure I'll have the trunk of one tree in the bedroom and the other in the kitchen. How come you want to live in a tree for? Christopher John inquired. It's so peaceful up there and quiet and cool too, answered Jeremy, especially at night. How, how you know how cool it is at night, I said. Jeremy's face brightened. Because I got my bedroom up there. We looked at him unbelievingly. I, I do, really. Built it myself and I sleeps up there. Come these hot nights, I just climb in my tree and it's like going into another world. Why, I can see and hear things up there that I bet you only the squirrels and the birds can see and hear. Sometimes I think I can even see all the way over to y'all's place. Ah, shoot, boy, you're a story, I said. Your place too far away and you know it. Jeremy's face dropped. Well, maybe I can't see it, but that don't keep me from pretending I do. He was silent a second, then hopped up suddenly, his face bright again. Hey, why don't y'all come on over and see it? My pa's going to be gone all day and it'd be lots of fun and I could show y'all. No, said Stacy quietly, his eyes still on the trees overhead. Jeremy sat back down, deflated. Just wanted y'all to see it, that's all. For a while, he looked hurt by Stacy's cold refusal. Then, seeming to accept it as part of the things that were, he again took up his position and volunteered good-naturedly. If y'all ever get a chance to build y'all selves a tree house, just let me know and I'll help you. It's just as cool. Papa sat on a bench in the barn, his broken leg awkwardly before him, mending one of Jack's harnesses. He has been there since early morning, a frown line carved deep into his forehead, quietly mending those things which need mending. Mama told us not to bother him, and we stayed away from the barn as long as we could, but by late afternoon we drifted naturally to it and began our chores. Papa had disappeared within himself, and he took no notice of us at first, but shortly afterward he looked up, watching us closely. All right, so there was a a space between Jeremy talking and Papa. So let's talk about what happened with Jeremy. So Jeremy said, like, I just wish I could live in a treehouse and I could just be high and I could just listen to what the birds listen to and what, um, just be able to have quiet and peace. And he said, well, I actually do have a place where I sleep because my bedroom is up there. And all of the Logan kids are like, what? And so he, he invited them. And of course, Stacy had to say no, but Jeremy was disappointed but he said well if you guys ever want to build a tree house I'll help you because it's cool all right I'm going to continue reading after where we left off after the paragraph about papa when the chores were almost finished Mr. Morrison arrived from strawberry where he had gone to make the August mortgage payment he entered the barn slowly and handed papa an envelope papa glanced up questioningly then ripped it open as he read the letter his jaw set tightly and when he finished, he smashed his fist so hard against the bench that the boys and I stopped what we were doing, aware that something was terribly wrong. They tell you, he asked of Mr. Morrison, his voice curt, angry. Mr. Morrison nodded. I tried to get them to wait till after cotton picking, but they told me it was due and payable immediately. Them's they words. Harlan Granger, said Papa quietly. He reached for his cane and stood up. You feel up to going back to Strawberry? Tonight? I can make it, but I don't know if this old mule can. Then hitch lady to it, he said, motioning to the mare. He turned then and went to the house. The boys and I followed, not quite sure of what was happening. 
Papa entered the kitchen. We stayed on the porch, peering through the screen. David, something the matter, son? The bank called up the note. I'm going to Strawberry. Called up the note, echoed Big Ma. Oh, Lord, not that, too. Mama stared at Papa, fear in her eyes. You going now? Now, he said, leaving the kitchen for their room. Mama's voice trailed him. David, it's too late. The bank's closed by now. You can't see anyone until morning. We could not hear Papa's reply, but Mama's voice rose sharply. You want to be out on that road again in the middle of the night after what happened? You want us worried to death about you? Mary, don't you understand they're trying to take the land? Papa said, his voice rising too, so that we heard. Don't you understand? I don't want you dead. We could hear nothing else, but a few minutes later, Papa came out and told Mr. Morrison to unhitch Lady. They would go to Strawberry in the morning. The next day, Papa and Mr. Morrison were gone before I arose. When they returned in the late afternoon, Papa sat wearily down at the kitchen table with Mr. Morrison beside him, rubbing his hand over his thick hair. He said, I called Hammer. What did you tell him? Mama asked. Just that the note's been called? He said he'd get the money. How? He didn't say, and I didn't ask, just said he'd get it. And Mr. Higgins at the bank, David, said Big Ma. What do you have to say? Said our credit's no good anymore. We aren't even hurting the Wallaces now. Mama said with acid anger, Harlan Granger's got no need, baby. You know he's got a need, Papa said, pulling her to him. He's got a need to show us where we stand in the scheme of things. He's got a powerful need to that, to do that. Besides, he still wants this place. But son, that mortgage gives us four more years, Papa lied dryly. Mama, you want me to take it to court? Big Ma sighed and placed her hand on Papa's. What if Hammer can't get the money? Papa did not look at her, but at Mr. Morrison instead. Don't worry, Mama. We ain't going to lose the land. Trust me. All right, so we're going to stop reading for right there, and let's talk about what just happened. So pretty much Papa got a letter in the mail that um, their mortgage payment is not going to be able to um, finish out by the end of August, and they got a note. So they're going to Strawberry in the morning to talk about this note, and then Papa said to um, the family that he called Hammer, and that Hammer said he was going to take care of it. So let's see what happens in the rest of the chapter in part two. See you all on the other side.